Hi. Hello. Hello. How you doing? So good. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. We are three birth professionals and best friends. And we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth. It's not all glitter and rainbows. Whereas we like to say it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, midwife at a busy birth center and smaller home birth practice. I'm Meredith Rout, also a midwife at the same home birth practice. And I'm Jess McKee. I'm a doula for clients in and out of the hospital and also a birth assistant with you guys at our home birth practice. Yeah, not that we've done a lot of births together recently. I mean... Or podcasts. (laughs) Or anything besides hanging out. (laughs) Uh, We did a birth together last week, Meredith. Was that last week? Yeah, maybe it was like week. It was like week. Oh, that's true. That's right. That's why I left. I was able to magically leave town. It was on September 1st. Well, September 2nd. Yeah. I remember wow, because why? it was my daughter's birthday. Oh, my God. I don't think I knew that. And I don't think you ever even mentioned that while we were at the birth. Um, no, but yeah, so, no, I remember now you, yeah, you came after her. But the baby was actually born the day after Ren's birthday um, because it was after midnight. I but, really love that birth with you, actually. Oh, my God. That birth was like... That was a life. That was. That I part. loved watching Jess process that birth unfold. Didn't you help catch the baby? She did catch it. I oh. did. We should tell the whole birth story as we'll a save birth it. story of the week. Yeah, okay. tell at the end. But yeah, um, I don't know. I've never been to a birth like that birth, and I was digging it for sure. You were digging it, but you also were like so uncertain. Like every time I looked at your face, you were just like, "Uh, <laughs> what is happening now?" <laughs> Well, that mom is intense. Yeah, but she rocks it out. I love like it. Like, if I had to create a team of intensity, I would want her on my team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an intensity like, team? Yeah, like, get shit done team. An intensity team? Yeah, <laughs> an intensity team. I wouldn't mess with her either. No. Like, she's a hit and run kind of person for me. <laughs> I also feel like her and her husband are like my ride and die. Like, if I ever needed to get rid of a body, they'd be some of the people I call. They'd be on my, like, Which dead we body would team. would never do. <laughs> I would, no, we would never do that. Never. This is all metaphorical cool y'all yeah um but yeah so life has been crazy and i know we're not going to get into it today but But we will dive into it like a muff like a big old (laughs) messy muff but i did just want to put out there that we are thankful that you guys have been so patient with us as we have been going through technical difficulties and personal transitions life difficulties and um yeah, I feel like we've been going through life and technical difficulties since our podcast You know what, started. though? The fact that we <laughs> even started this podcast during a pandemic and we're still going, I'm not like I have a lot of accountability towards our listeners. So I also feel like I want to step it up. But sometimes I just like think about that facet alone. And I'm like, wow. We are badasses. Yeah. <laughs> this has been like the most too- stressful two years like the planet has seen in a while. Yeah. And, and look here at us we still are delivering trying babies to bring and joy and recording podcasts. Humor. And doing it all. Bringing joy to each other's lives. So well, we do joy. that even when there's not microphones in our faces. But. True. True. Um, but today we are talking about something that's not quite as joyful. I don't know if you've caught on, but we're not in a super joyful mood today. So maybe this will actually every match time. our vibe. I told you. You do that every time. What? <laughs> We're not like, quite into this mood. We're not so, quite into that well, mood. Well, you know what? Honestly, I feel fine with that because there's a lot of mask wearing these days and I'd rather just be open and vulnerable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is real life. Yeah. 
I don't want to be vulnerable at all. Sometimes we sit down on my horrifically dirty porch and we're not happy and joyful and we record anyway. We've been doing a lot of, um, I mean, I personally have been doing a lot more fun stuff. I was going to say, I've been doing so many fun things. No, I've also been doing fun things. Maybe that's why we're not so joyful because now we have to do work. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I'm going out of town this weekend. Meredith just got back from like a week long trip out west. Yeah, which looked so magical and amazing. It was so amazing. Everybody Um, needs to go road trip down the west ish coast it was amazing yeah and we're looking forward to meredith's wedding party coming up that is so soon so tell me about it i got so much shopping to do and we're going to have like a super busy october we have lots of clients in october so we're ready to like hit the ground running and have renewed energy or something (laughs) blah blah blah. make it till you make it (laughs) when you don't feel confident act confident bravado is everything then it makes everyone else feel confident well we are stepping up the podcast because we let that fall through the cracks because we've been so crazy busy this past six weeks has been rough um but today what we are going to talk about is um transfer when it comes to planning an out of hospital birth Mm -hmm. um we're going to talk about times that we transfer Reasons for transfer. What a yeah. transfer looks like. Yeah. And and we also have a transfer birth story of the week. Um, so it's not a super fun conversation, but I find it's a super important it's conversation. It's really important, yeah. Because I've been doing... Um, God, last week I had appointments every day with my October clients. Um, and all of my October clients are out of hospital births. And my first appointment that I always do as a doula... I go over all of this boring intervention stuff Mm -hmm. to see like if we're on the same page and find out what their thoughts are, if there's things they need more information about, um, just super boring, but a lot of people also important. Yeah. But I find a lot of people when I'm doing that meeting, because I go over interventions that they should know about in case of a transfer, but also interventions that happen even at the center at home. And, um, a lot of times when I'm saying, okay, so just in case we end up at the hospital, I want to talk about this. And a lot of people are like, I don't want I know. Oh. I always feel really weird entering that conversation. Like by the end of it, people are usually really thankful we had it, but it's always like hard to segue into. Yeah. Not for me. I'm like, and while we're not betting on you transferring, let's talk about it if yeah. you do. And I always say that, but I have noticed that there is a population of people. There's a population of people who are like, no, I want to plan for everything. And that makes me feel more confident and less worried about it. And then there's other people who are like, if we talk about it, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I've also had transfers where we didn't talk about it. And then stuff happens that I will say when you make a transfer, if you haven't talked about some of these things, it's really hard in the moment to make decisions or, um, stick up for yourself and what you want if you don't know what's going what's on, going on what or expect. what's being offered yeah um so yeah i think it's a really important conversation to have because then ultimately some of those people who didn't want to talk about it and end up transferring have a lot of stuff happen that they didn't want because they didn't know their options and then as they are researching later and processing they're like i wish that hadn't happened i wish i hadn't done this but those are hard decisions to make if you hadn't looked at them yeah in advance i've, I've had oh go ahead that's okay good 
I've just I've had a couple moms who've transferred say that would have been terrible if we hadn't talked about it before. Like that's exactly what at I was least I knew say. what to expect and I had it on my like in my mind to know to say yes to this and no to that and so it wasn't like shocking. Yeah. Kind of thing. Also, I feel like for the moms who don't transfer, it's like fear of the unknown is so much. That's where so much fear comes from. So even if we like unpack a lot of it, even if they don't transfer, it takes a lot of the questions out of it, which makes it feel more manageable. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. And um, also getting a lot of questions about, like, what are your rates of transfer? Um, How often is an emergency? How often is it not? So we want to talk a little bit more about those things and what those look like as well. I don't get that question as much anymore now that I think about it. I I used to get it all the time in consultations, but I don't really get that much anymore. No, I of course, I don't really do a whole lot of consults anymore at the center. So I used to get like, well, what what is your transfer rate and what's the main reason? And so, I mean, it's still about 10%. I think for most out-of-hospital, and I could be wrong, but I think most out-of-hospital providers, the transfer rate is about 10%. Yeah, that's what it's been fairly consistently for a while now. Which, So people will say like, it's crazy that your transfer rate is 10% when the C-section rate nationally is 40%, nearly 40%. But I also want to point out that we do take on low risk moms. Mm-hmm. So, but it's also true. Like our just because we transfer doesn't mean you're having a C section. Right. So yeah, most of the time you don't. Yeah, honestly, so for out of hospital providers, like our transfer rate is lower than for people who are like it's so unsafe, it's so this. I'm like actually, and ten percent is the is all transfers, both emergent right. and non-emergent yeah. so a lot of that 10 percent, most of that 10 percent is for pain relief and rest yeah, yeah so i want to talk about that a little bit let's talk about the the reason again why we see most of our transfers and i will say for me that is one of the biggest things is and it's usually first-time moms mm-hmm. who have just been in labor for a long time especially if they're like water breaks first i feel like that mm-hmm. sometimes sets the scene and then if they're not resting and they're still contracting and then you get tired and then you're not making progress because you're so tired and, and you're, you're like not going resting. into that 48 hour labor cycle. Yeah. So I would say that is the biggest reason I see for transfer and that's considered non-emergent. We're basically transferring for, um, for pain medication and rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that the majority of those moms end up going to the hospital, getting an epidural, getting a little bit of sleep and having a vaginal birth. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I do those transfers, I try to be really reassuring. Like that we're not, this does not mean you're getting a C-section. I've seen this work so many times where you just need rest and the baby can move down while you're resting. It'll make a really big difference. I was just talking about this with a former client of mine and I just remember her birth so vividly because it was the same thing where we transferred after two days of labor and sometimes I know it sounds terrible but sometimes those are like my favorite births yeah. because when they are like get an epidural and they rest we all can rest for a couple hours and then we're just kind of hanging out like yeah. talking and yeah like I realize yeah. like I get to know their story so much more than so with my, some of my other clients like I do try to ask people now like how they met like what's your origin story but before that I realized some of these transfers like gave me that information. I never would have thought of that, but it's great. Like you learn so much about your clients and get to know them so well. It's just like a really cool bonding experience, even if it's not that like what happen. you were hoping for. Speaking of which, like getting to know people really well, I'm going to tell this birth story as our birth story of the week in the second half. But um, they also get to know us really well because um, I recently had a birth that I was there for two, 48 hours total. And um, 
I was like, the first night I was like sleeping in five minute increments up against the wall. And then the second night we had transferred and she had gotten epidural. So I was sleeping like, you know, maybe. Oh, yeah. I was wondering where you're going. When I 35 to 40 minute going. increments. And um, so I went to her postpartum and I was like, listen, I know you listen to our podcast and I know that you know that I'm like asleep. I'm a sleep farter. Like mentioned this last time. Yeah. And I was like, so I, I said it to her at our postpartum and she's like. Well, I didn't hear you fart at all in your sleep because I was like, listen, my gut was messed up after two days of being at a birth. <laughs> and she goes, but he did mention that at one point he woke up and he was like, the two of you were just snoring so <laughs> loud that it was crazy. And I was yeah. like, I didn't realize that I'm a snorer. But maybe. when you're that tired, you are. I feel it. Or anybody is. Yeah. I was exhausted. Those are my least. Like, I hate those ones when, like, you're so knocked out. You're, like, drooling. And a client's, <laughs> like, or a client or a client's partner comes and wakes you up. And you're like, God damn it. Like, all of my professionals. I'm just, fl- what little there is just flew out the window. Welcome to the shit show. I'm yeah. sleep farting and drooling. <laughs> a little snoring thrown in along the way. You're a human, so. Honestly, everyone's so tired at that point. Like, no one gives a fuck like it doesn't matter as long as you're getting some z's yeah so yeah that would be the main reason that i see for transfer in labor um before labor my biggest reason i see for transfer is um if somebody's streppy positive and their water breaks and labor is not starting um we usually try natural induction methods if that happens but if that doesn't work works though Mm -hmm. yeah but if it doesn't um that could be a reason for a transfer for an induction which Um, is such a frustrating transfer it's such a hard transfer yeah it really is because it doesn't like the mom's not too tired like she feels like she can keep going it's just like a clock at that point i know we have a lot more time now though following acogs um recommendation for prolonged rupture so that's nice yeah so that would be for if somebody strep b positive oh i'm sorry yeah that would be negative but right. yeah, yes for positive, i mean if they get antibiotics you buy some more time too which can help yeah, just but not as much yeah yeah but um we have been following the protocol that if you are strep b negative you have 90 yeah it's like 94 six, hours 94 hours yeah so that's been great. You can just like sleep and mm-hmm. yeah, wake up and wait so for labor to start. Stressful. I don't think I've since we've since we've adapted or adopted that new protocol. I don't think I've transferred anyone for prolonged. That's rupture. awesome, mm-hmm. which is crazy because that's been, been going great. on for so long in other countries. It's yeah. like America finally caught up, and their births have been fantastic. It just it's like their body just needs time to mm-hmm. understand that it's time, mm-hmm. and then I haven't. I don't see increased hemorrhage with it i haven't seen any infection like there hasn't been any well it's change. also because we're not rushing the process right. so that makes a lot of sense like we're probably you know there's increased chance the more you like intervene it makes me feel so bad for the births we did over the years because i never agreed with that protocol but it's like what, what are you gonna do yeah, I'm, not are a, tied. I'm not a medical provider um but it's like i think of the all these births that ended up in transfer for right sh- that like would have been totally fine yeah. had yeah. there not been that clock that and really had there not been stress. Um, well, that's where community standard comes in, unfortunately, even if we don't agree with it. And at last, at least we adapt quicker than other systems. Some yeah. of those like more intact systems take a really long time. You said to catch up. I did. <laughs> I was trying to think of a better word as it was coming out of my mouth. I was like, I can't think of one, and Jess is gonna you just go said with coming it. Out of your mouth. 
I so many things. <laughs> so many things. Just keep on doing it. <laughs> I've had several transfers for um like hypertension before labor. Yeah, issue. I feel like you've had a bunch of those in the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, like a whole bunch and then not so much recently. I feel like you do a really good job though trying to prevent those transfers if it's safe for the mom and baby yeah. to try to like to do things before you get to that point, mm-hmm. but Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about transfers during labor that are not just for rest and pain relief because they do happen. And I feel like there is this picture that is painted in people's brains of like emergent transfers being super scary. And I will say that we have had emergency transfers where it's like, let's go, go, go. But they're like the least, the least likely for us to have um so well, that's when that percentage drops to like somewhere between like yeah, three I one t- i used to say one percent but you're yeah, saying more like three like percent yeah, yeah. Think, well the statistics that we had gone by and they didn't really change for several years was a 10 percent transfer rate and seven out of ten were for epidural or failure to progress and that's mm-hmm. a terrible term but you know what i mean and then the three percent were essentially either well, we'll talk about the reasons, but hemorrhaging or, yeah, you know, like heart tones or heart tones or um, the newborn is not transitioning. Yeah. So I wanted to say before we go into those reasons that uh, there are certain things that we have to transfer by EMS or rescue squad. So if we're transferring you because, um, you know, like failure to progress or you need pain meds, we go by our car. Um, but there's certain things that we have to call them emergent transfers because we have to transfer you by calling EMS. Um, but I want to like change that wording. Cause that sounds like really scary, really scary. And we're rushing and it sounds like, Oh gosh, it's an emergency. We have to get there right away. Um, but there's a lot of those transfers that are considered emergent transfers that even though we're going to give me some examples. Yeah. I guess I need some examples of like, EMS transfers that are not emergency because I really can't think of any situation where I would call EMS to transfer if it wasn't very time sensitive except for women who are in panic mode and will not get up and walk to the car for pain. So I was thinking about the example of we do postpartum transfers Mm -hmm. um, for things in the... EMS. And I'm not saying it's not time sensitive. I'm just saying taking some of the fear. But like, for instance, um, talking about babies, when we do postpartum transfers for babies. So there can be babies that have like um, their breathing's too faster than normal or they're just not transitioning right. And that sounds like, OK, we're, we're transferring by squad. It's an emergency. But like technically the baby's still stable and we've been sitting around usually for a couple hours like hemming and hawing over whether to transfer the baby so it's not like you're rushing to save the baby's life and i do and like oxygenation's a big thing so that's like why we always say like stay for at least three hours postpartum because usually like any like unknown heart defect issues or like potential infection is going to be calm those first three hours and i feel like those transfers yeah i'm actually really thankful that they don't feel as rushed because you still get to protect that first hour and give the mom and the baby time to like bond and get a good nursing in just in case like something happens where they get separated and they can't nurse once they get to the hospital um 
And so obviously those things, it's important for the baby to get care. But I do feel like sometimes protecting that first hour is really important too. And so you kind of get to find that balance. And a lot of, I know a lot of clients who have to transfer their babies for those kinds of reasons really appreciate the time because it makes it just feel more manageable and kind of sets not. the tone for the transfer. Yeah, that makes sense. I wasn't thinking postpartum or newborn. We had just said in labor. So that's where my mind was. Oh, at. okay. <laughs> gotcha. Well, we were talking about heart tones a little bit. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about heart tones and, and. So because people get really nervous about baby's heart tones in labor and like, is the baby going to crash all of a sudden? And, and there's this like picture people have of like, oh, we're all rushing out of there to, to get there really quickly and have an emergency cesarean. But I just want to like talk about how unoften that kind mm-hmm. of stuff happens. So let's just talk a little bit about heart tones because I think it's... Like heart tones are scary, but I feel like your first impulse with heart tones isn't to necessarily transfer unless there's a clear sign that something's going on that like requires transfer. But for me, I feel like people always forget about like changing positions. Like Mm -hmm. what if the cord's just getting pinched in a certain position? And so I always, you know, clients always be like, hey, heart tones are changing. So let's try something different and see how it goes. And obviously you have to stay on top of that. Like you can't just like not monitor at that point. Like you need to ensure that the interventions that you're doing are making a difference. But but I do want to say that the times that we transfer because baby's heart tones are not normal. um, That's usually not, doesn't feel like an emergency. That usually is like, we've been watching it. Something's not normal. We finally decide like, Hey, we don't like how this is looking. I would say if they're not pushing, then maybe it's less emergent. But once they start pushing, it kind of becomes yes. that night not a nightmare, but it's like the setup for what everyone hopes to avoid. Right. Is, and the birth we I mean? did it's, and we did have a birth like that, mm-hmm. but that's been the And it can be really scary, but as a rule, if they're not pushing, then usually the baby's not dipping and staying there and threatening to yeah. you know need something that we can't do there so i have transferred moms for questionable heart tones via personal car because they're three centimeters four centimeters and i'm like this isn't normal we need to go in and see what's happening but if you're pushing and how i can see the baby and we're calling ems and it is it feels more urgent and like how many times have we done those transfers for heart tones and then you go to the hospital and they're like why are you here right totally fine and then they don't even really i mean they have continuous monitoring but like you're just watching the strip and you're seeing the exact same thing and they're like not worried at all or i had a client once years ago and she was in labor and she was a multip. So it was not her first birth and she was known for having fast births. And um we randomly went to listen to heart tones. Um and they were like in the forties. Like really, really, really low. And so we did an emergent transfer with her, and that sounds super scary. Um and they they like stayed in the forties for like a like pretty extended amount of time. Um and then when we got to the hospital Heart tones were completely normal. She went on to have a really fast, easy vaginal birth. So it's like sometimes weird stuff happens. Was there meconium? Nope. What? Was the baby and the baby didn't have any kind of restorative distress once they were born? Nope. Interesting. It's so weird. They're like picking it up weird, but you heard I've it. I definitely transferred. Marked variability is like the main reason that you might transfer in labor, but not pushing. And I've had moms transfer with like extremely like it's just it's super marked it's like down in the 80s up in the 160s down in the 80s up in the 160s and we know that's a sign of distress and then they have a really 
normal like the baby mm-hmm. comes out crying like nothing had happened yeah. but i've also had emergency cesareans with mark's variability where they pull them out and it looks like they've been covered in chocolate pudding their entire yeah. lives of their womb so there's just like no there's no way to know so you have to err on the side of right. caution and so it sucks for women that get transferred and then their baby comes out perfect it doesn't suck that their baby's perfect but then they look back and they're like why i don't understand why we had to do that and i'm like well look at this mom over here whose baby may have died if we didn't Right. Do the same thing. Think, and there's no way to know. I think that's why people hire us, though, is because like we do have that perspective and like that experience to use as judgment. So but it is hard when it doesn't match up and it sucks. But yeah, as a rule, if you're pushing and your baby is deselling, I'm going to probably use EMS. But if it's mm-hmm. weird and you're not pushing or you're three or four, then that shouldn't be happening either. But we're probably just going to drive. Yeah. yeah. And and the conversation I wanted to have surrounding that is that it is to just take away some of the fear because there are times when it happens, but it's less very, very much it's less really than the other times um, that we're talking about where it feels really like scary and weighted. Yeah. Just because you hear like not to minimize, but just because you hear someone's horror story doesn't mean that that's a reflection on birth as a whole or in general, which is like what's so hard about like the way women and families share about birth and our culture is like people feel very like free and open to share horror stories. And then people internalize that as like a normal thing. And when instead it's just like a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the process. But regardless of where you birth, there's always a chance that something could go wrong. So just have to acknowledge that yeah. and then ask your provider Figure out where you how feel they, safest. Yeah. Like, how do you handle it? I mean, you can ask your in-hospital or out-of-hospital provider because we've certainly had super scary transfers. Or it's not scary to us, the provider, because we know what we're doing. But mm-hmm. it's very scary to the people who are there. And that's where that conversation comes in about like talking about it ahead of time. But then also, if you're able to, being really transparent about what's going on in the moment, too. And giving informed consent, even as like things might be a little chaotic. So besides hard tones, I wanted to talk a little bit about hemorrhage. I was going to say, I feel like that's our biggest one in terms of emergent transfer. In labor, there's not a whole, I don't, I can't remember transferring. I'm I'm, I'm sure it's happened, but emergent transfers in labor really are just the baby. I guess meconium could be another one. Yeah, but I would drive. Yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily call you must for that one. Yeah. Yeah, so postpartum, our main reason for transfer is hemorrhage. And it doesn't happen very often anymore because we've kind of got it down as to like got what it down to a science. Yeah. <laughs> but um, knock on wind. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of our hemorrhage transfers are actually they're controlled. Sta- yeah, I was going to say they're stable when they leave. Yeah. It's just to ensure that they don't need extra support. Or they just can't come back from the amount of blood loss mm-hmm. that they've had. And everyone's yeah. so vastly different. Like, you can have clients who can lose 1,500 and be totally fine. And then you've got others that lose the 500 and they're, you they know, struggling stand to stand up and go to the bathroom. So I may have, no- before you, um, I may have mentioned this last time, but on Midwifery Wisdom, there's a calculator, which is really awesome for anybody to go in. You can go put in the mom's, like, height, weight, all of these things. I guess it's more weight. And then they tell you, this is how many CCs they can lose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how they're acting in that moment. Like they're going to feel it later. So it's, it's surprising just to see how much, how much you weigh, 
how much blood you have. I mean, it makes sense. There's a certain percentage that everyone can lose before they lose. Were you the surprised by how high or how low the number was? Um, or were you it just depends it? on the person. I mean, if yeah. you're a heavy person, you can lose a surprising amount, but mm-hmm. it's more the light people. Tiny people cannot lose that much blood because they don't have any to start with in the first place. So I just found that really helpful because we've had times where I've, I won't even tell you how much our, my biggest hemorrhage was because it's ludicrous. And, uh, I mean, she should have transferred, but she walked out of the center, like refusing to transfer. I'll walk out like, not like screw you, but yeah. I'm like, you have to be able to walk and function. And she was right. like, you I'm wouldn't fu- have, you wouldn't have, you and for the been- record, the bleeding had been stopped by yeah, that she point was and fine. she was stable. It was, it was just, she lost it all. We managed it. It was fine. But she, I just felt like she needed to transfer and she was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm fine. I'm not going anywhere. But I was shocked at how much she lost and how, and it did not bother her later. But yeah, um, I do feel like a lot of the times, like that big question is like whether or not they're going to need a transfusion with the amount they lost. And it's so uncommon. I feel like for that actually to be the red, like the fix right like they check their hemoglobin hematocrit and it's stable enough they actually don't need one it does happen but it's really really uncommon and and quite honestly like from my standpoint from what i've seen um if the bleeding is controlled which usually when we transfer i mean you've transferred a couple where the bleeding was not controlled and you were doing like it was a real emergency and yeah it was was controlled in the moment because of what i was doing Mm -hmm. but if i stopped doing what i was doing it wouldn't keep going yeah Yeah. and at that point ems like we're still oftentimes managing what's going on it's just we're in route to the hospital at that point so how we approach management doesn't necessarily change we just happen to be like on the road as we're doing it um but yeah so when it comes to blood loss if the bleeding is now stopped and controlled um your hemoglobin and hematocrit you you so their policy is to offer a transfusion if your hemoglobin and hematocrit is under a certain number um but really it's kind of a choice because at that point you can just let your body build back up yeah really the transfusion thing would come in more if the bleeding is uncontrolled but then still the biggest thing that they need to do is um stop the bleeding or else it's like you're just pouring right something into a faucet that's a, a balloon with a hole in it <laughs> yeah um I so had a mom choose a transfusion i mean it was up to her and she was so happy that she did it yeah, because she was like i cannot better. believe the difference that i feel right now in speeding that process yeah, up but i know there's a can- lot of people who wouldn't like we can give you IV fluids, but it's not gonna help. I mean, it's gonna help, but it's not gonna help as much as like all the different elements of blood would. Yeah, so that that becomes like a personal choice, like personal religious choice at that point. What you want to do about that situation, um, and some people just choose like, no, I want to let my body build it back up on its own, and I don't want to take like the risks of a blood transfusion or whatever. Um, but I feel like that's a totally different topic. Um, but hemorrhage wise. More of our hemorrhage transfers are that they hemorrhaged and we transferred afterwards to make sure they were stable. Like the one we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like she was fully, like she was stable. Her bleeding had already stopped, Mm -hmm. but it was like, is she in shock now? Right. And in hindsight, a lot of her experience was due to side effects from a medication and not shock. Yeah. So live and learn. We're always learning. We always are. And so, yeah. And I just think that talking about transfer, like I said, I like to take the fear out of it because it is scary. But 
when you know what's actually happening and the, the amount of things that are actually under control, having an uncontrolled emergency transfer is like very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, where I can really only think of like, like I can think of one time specifically where I felt worried and the like in route to a transfer. And I mean, I don't know. We've done a lot of births together. I can think of a few. <laughs> yeah. You've done more births though over the years. Yeah, I'm just thinking like together, you and me. But it is it is so like truly what three percent. Yeah, one to three percent. Um, this last year it was it's just so funny because, like, I love EMTs. Like, I tend to love their. It takes a certain person personality to be like a fire and rescue emt whatever and i love them like i love who they are as human beings they don't they don't really fuck around right and they're just like there's just a certain kind of person typically and there are good ones and not so good ones and it really and when i say good i don't mean at your job i just mean your attitude Mm -hmm. like it like really, if you're burnout or not, I feel like a lot of yeah. times. Or if you hate us because you That's think what we're we killing do. people, yeah. whatever. So it really makes or breaks the transfer for that mm-hmm. mom. If you're like stepping on the midwife's feet and saying, we're doing this and we're doing that. When we know for a fact that. Or like calling into question whether or not right. it's even like the right choice. Right. And it's just, that's frustrating. But poor Jen, I think we said that she transferred and I was there for one of them. I helped, um, with the postpartum for one, but she transferred two babies within two hours, maybe not even maybe an hour. The same poor team had to come back. So then one of the other midwives in the community was like, my, my so-and-so said that you guys just transferred like a ton of people. And I'm like, like our our percentage is still really (laughs) low. It just happened to all be at once. So it looks worse. I'm sorry. They feel that's happening. I mean, I've literally gone months without transferring and I do a shit ton of, and that's where so much of the misperception (laughs) happens is they don't see the great birth. They only see the transfers, which that, yeah, that was true for me. So, cause I hadn't been to the hospital at all since COVID started and I didn't have a single, in labor transfer from out of hospital the entire time of COVID until last month. And then I actually had two, two, well, one of them, I wasn't there with the mom, but clients that had been mine, um, but two in the last month that um, transferred. So it was like, it's kind of like one of those things when it's like, it's that unfounded rule of three that we keep fearing in our personal practices and it it sucks and i always joke like not joke about that but i'm like what are we supposed to be learning here yeah what are we supposed i mean now even my practice as small as it is we had those two postpartum they were non-emergent thank goodness but it does it just like tends to happen in waves sometimes yeah and it's not fun sorry what were you saying I forget. Sorry. Well, I think <laughs> I that it's down. a good time to go to our break. And when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about what transfer looks like. And we can tell our birth story of the week. Boop, boop. All right. Cue the music. Oh, yeah. So our sponsor for today's episode is once again, our Teespring shop. Do you love cute shirts with birthy sayings on them? Do you love our logo? Would you love to have a mug or a bag with our logo on it? Well, if you like any of those things, then our Teespring shop is the place for you. Um, We will put a link to it in our posts on social media, um, but it's the Wine About Birth Teespring. So check out our Teespring shop 
and um, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Cheers. Welcome back from that delightful break. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it so delightful? Kim is done, done. <laughs> Shh. Smoking a pancake. She's snarkily copying Tess. I just want to go take a nap. <laughs> She's lounging real hard, too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I just want to dive right in. Like a muff. I'm going to take a video <laughs> of you right now. You're being so pathetic. So, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what transfer looks like and things to keep in mind. Um, I think transfer is made or like way your transfer goes usually can be made good or bad depending on what hospital you're transferring to and which who comes pick who the team also like she was saying which providers you get yes now we've had both experiences we've had experiences where we go in and the providers that we get are just like really shitty towards what we do and they don't like us and (laughs) And women in general don't treat our moms nicely and that is never fun but i do i want to talk about that because i think if people go into it knowing that that's a possibility like how to handle that yeah so if you've already planned for like the different options you have for transfer there's a way that you can like work with your birth team that makes it less confrontational yeah it is really hard because like especially like you talk about transfer you don't necessarily talk about like who because you don't know who's gonna be on call until you call to let them give them a report yeah and so it's really hard when there's already so much going on and you're like by the way just want to give you a heads up about this provider that's gonna be on call Which tonight such a shame. it's such this a shame providers because you don't wanna, you don't want to like add to their stress but you also don't want them to be caught off guard you know, so it's mm-hmm. like better to prepare them and hope for the best. I used to understand if I were an OB and I had my practice and my women and then someone dared to call me in to take care of, of them and I don't know them, I can see why they would be pissed. But most hospitals are now working with a hospitalist right, group where that's like what who they has do. never met yeah. any single mom who is walking in. Yeah. So my point is my mom's your moms they have their labs they have their ultrasounds we have they're, beautiful transfer reports right. they're they're healthy women they know where they're coming from they're not just off the street so to me if you're being an asshat then i guess you're just an asshat to all women. well i also just feel like yeah like we bring in really well-informed clients and sometimes that's not what they want because then they just don't get to tell them what to do or what they're used to yeah and so I want to say, like, if you've gone over, like, your options and stuff, I found the best way to deal with providers in that situation that are less than amazing. Um, I always go with, like, be kind but confident. Because if we go in with, like, our battle gear on, yeah, it makes it them more. You look cool, but. <laughs> it, but it makes them more confrontational. Um, so it's, like the things that are really important to you. And I talk about that with my clients. Like this is the way you should word it when you're asking for that. And it's like, don't ask it as a question. Yeah. Say it confidently as a statement. Mm -hmm. And usually (laughs) I believe you are an asshat. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's thinking more like vitamin K, but that's also, that's also great. (laughs) Or like delayed cord clamping. Like a lot of our clients, it's really important for them. And so instead of being like, is it possible that we could delay the cord clamping for blah, blah, blah? Like, then they can just be like, no. 
Yeah, don't make so, it an option because you know it's an option. Yeah, so being like saying it confidently but kindly, like, so I've done a lot of research about delayed cord clamping and it's really important to me that we delay cutting or clamping the cord for this long or until this happens. And then usually we know the doctors and what if they're the ones that are going to be like, well, blah, 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 blah. but let me tell you why it's dumb. Yeah. And so I'll be like, I'll usually warn them like this doctor's going to say this. And then when it happens, I kind of like... I don't laugh out loud so that you can see you it. Just but laugh like, with your eyes. My brain is like laughing and I kind of <laughs> like make eye contact with my clients. Especially with masks now, like our eye contact is like so like, yeah. Like in, in Bridesmaids where Dun, she's da-da. like the penis, like very <laughs> intense eye contact. And then just repeat it again. Like, okay, thank you for that information. I appreciate you giving it to me. Um, but I have done a lot of research about that in particular and it's still really important to me. Like just keep saying it, kind but confident, also, kind like, but confident. Or have always take else time. Doing that yeah, yeah. Currently in pain, and yep. you can always take time to think about something. Yes, ask for a minute. Transfer was amazing. The doctor was so kind and so sweet, and then he said, "I was just like," he goes, "You know, um, because her bleeding. It's like we got to the hospital and everything stopped. Of course, that's normally nothing how, was wrong. How it literally works. nothing." However, they cathed like, oh, that was your or mom no? Then. She peed like two entire, almost like two liters. Yeah. So he says, you know, when their bladder is full, they tend to bleed. And I was just shocking. Like, we didn't know that. Yes, <laughs> you are right. <laughs> I know, but I swear she peed before we came. So then I kind of felt like, oh my god, this sweet man is going to think I'm a moron. I am not a moron, but also I really appreciate you because you're being so kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And I also want to say that, like, some providers are going to come in and say things that sound really scary or crappy or just don't make sense. Like, that happens. Like, and I don't say, like, take everything that they say. Like, you need to hear because sometimes they're right. But I've also had providers come in and say things that are completely inappropriate. And you also need, like, eye contact for that. Yes. Where you're like, completely, completely untrue. And it scares people. And mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in my and it and and it can feel so def- like defeating mm-hmm. um, and, so, and confusing when you've gotten completely different messages from the provider that you've worked with for the last nine months. So it's like as long as you are OK and baby is OK um, when it comes to like time limits or, you know, the things they say or the things they need to do, like you have time to make decisions and ask questions and ask for people to step out before you make decisions. Also, um, I mean, like, let's be tro- like, totally honest, too. Even in an emergency procedure at a hospital, it's going to take some damn time for it to it even does. happen. So yeah. you're going to have time to ask questions and process. Exactly. So I want to, like, launch into my birth story of the week because I feel like it covers a lot of these things and we can like talk about them as it goes are you raising your yes, hand are we in school? Yes. i want to say something really i like want to counter that though right because there's okay. like some like negativity and like fear there right but i yes. want to say like what brings me a lot of comfort as a provider is getting to brag about the nurses yes. that we transfer to because the nur- their nurses are amazing and to be completely honest they do most of your hands-on care anyways so like those are the people that you're going to end up interacting with yes. the most and they are phenomenal. So I wasn't so. saying that that's what always happens. I was saying that's right. what people are more often. And some of the doctors are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Some of the just, doctors are no, amazing. I know, I was, I know yeah. we weren't being all encompassing. Yeah. Or like, I don't, like, I don't 
I know us. Like, I feel like we have this conversation enough that we yeah. have both experiences. But I just want to say, like, I really, I always love being able to tell clients, honestly, that the nurses are really wonderful. And I agree. Inspire. We're going to do a whole other episode. We're having someone on, a CNM who's super awesome. Gina, if you get this, could you maybe shoot me your email? <laughs> because I wrote we it down we wrong. we mistyped it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've emailed you. And I'm like, I know this woman is emailing me back if I if she's getting it. And I know I wrote it down wrong. So if you could send us an email at wineaboutbirth at gmail.com that would be awesome I don't have to call your front desk again that would be amazing and I'm so excited to meet you and it's gonna (laughs) be awesome but I lost your email well I didn't lose it I wrote it wrong I just burped in the microphone on accident I did not hear it so I think you're good um okay so yeah sometimes transfers go so smoothly and everybody's amazing and everything's great and that definitely happens um this story is not that story (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it didn't go smoothly, but um, that's like from there were some things I wasn't super happy about. So I married an axe murderer when she's like, how about some silver dollar pancakes? And yeah. such a, and then <laughs> yeah. she's like, I didn't have this. I things. didn't have any of those things, <laughs> but I was excited to hear about them. <laughs> I want to go watch that movie now, along with Legend. <laughs> Olivia, they've failed me. No, you know, I'm They're sorry. Dirty Dancing down. was a really beautiful film. It was, really it was beautiful. It together. So I did. I did a birth. Um, oh yeah, you guys weren't there. Um, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> go Who on. Did a birth. What did a birth? Um, it was a client that was from the birth center, but uh, you were on vacation or something. Yeah, you were not there. So this was one of those births that caught me by surprise because. It was one of those births that I was like, she's had a vaginal birth before for a first time for a first time mom. Her birth was like very fast. Um, And so I was expecting once she got into labor that things were going to go really smoothly and really great. Um, So she ended up going all the way to 42 weeks. So that was like we're already on the bubble of like, okay, we need this to get started. So she goes to 42 weeks. Um. And then she finally starts having contractions. And for like a couple days, she had had them and then they'd stop. Then she'd have them and they'd stop. So exhausting. Yeah. And she had a really weird contraction pattern. Um, And so when they finally called me to their house, they were like, okay, they've been four minutes apart for blah, blah, blah time. And they're getting more intense. And so I drove to her house. And by the time I got there, they were like, oh, space back out to 15 minutes apart. So I was like, all right, we'll just hang around and see what happens. And so that just kept happening. And we knew it wasn't like position of the baby, like everything seemed super normal. Um, and we were doing like stuff to correct bad positions. So finally we just transferred because people are already at the center waiting for us. So we transferred to the birth center from their home. And um, so, yeah, we just labored all night and she would start like kicking in i'd be like all right this is it i can feel transition coming and then it would be like oh just kidding you know nothing I jessica mckee that yeah that's so posterior it was like birth <laughs> can we make that a shirt that's so that's posterior, so posterior. <laughs> it, was, it was like birth blue balls over and over <laughs> and over again also a shirt yes <laughs> and so yeah so all night long and that's what i was talking about like i was like sitting against the wall leaning on a birth ball and I'd like rub her back when she'd get a contraction and then I like close my eyes for five minutes and we just did that all night and so 
we eventually checked her and and even with her contraction pattern not being super consistent when we got there she was she had gone to like five centimeters which was awesome progress um because she had been checked in the office the day before or something and she had been one so we're like well maybe even though your pattern's not yeah they're working awesome they're working so let's keep doing it so we did it all night and then finally the next day (laughs) did it all night long (laughs) i don't know if that was too far considering you were talking about the clients (laughs) nah i think they'd enjoy that joke um so anyway the next morning we check her and she might have been one centimeter more, um, but still pretty much the same after all that work. Oh, it's so hard. But she had like so much water um, and the baby was high and it was like one of those situations where it's like, I know if this water breaks, yeah, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Like, come on, let's do it. So we did all this stuff. Like, let's get the baby lower. So it's like can, lifting your her belly. Yes, like, we were doing belly lifts. We were doing toilet sitting. Like she was working her ass off, considering how long she had been awake. Was this at the center? Mm-hmm. I remember now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So just like doing all this stuff, and like contractions would ramp up, and then they slow down. They'd ramp up, and then they slow down. So eventually, we got the baby low enough that we were like, "All right, we feel safe breaking her water because we really think yeah. once we break her water." Like you've literally gonna, done everything at this point. It's like the yes. first thing they'll do in a transfer anyways. So. Is break your water. Um, so yeah, we, we break her water. And everything looks perfect. Like everything we would expect. Like she's doing all the things. I'm like, yes, it's happening. We're well, your blue balls have finally been relieved. We're have a baby. And it goes on, goes on. And then it after like two hours of that, it's just like blink. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. God. Why is this happening? <laughs> no. And by this time, she's getting to like the end of her rope. Like, yeah, understandably. And as the baby got lower from her water breaking, like she's having this horrendously awful back pain, like back pain that's not normal. Yeah, back pain. Which all of this sounds posterior, but the baby was not. You don't think they rotated at the end? No. Don't believe so. I really don't. Baby was not post. Like we kept trying to like figure it out. And even if the baby was posterior, we were doing all the things yeah. to try and fix a posterior Which baby. Is so annoying. Yeah. But I don't think the baby was posterior. Um, and so, yeah. So she's doing that. And eventually she's like in such horrendous pain. We check her again. She still has not progressed anymore. Uh, and she's actually gone backwards going a little bit. No, yeah. are literally the worst. Yeah. And so it's so frustrating because she wanted this out of hospital birth so bad. And she, she clearly had worked so hard for it. Worked so hard. Did not want to transfer, but she was in so much pain and she was just like, I, I can't do this anymore and it's not going anywhere. Where sometimes I've seen people put up with like enormous amounts of pain if things are progressing. Right, yeah. But when you're dealing with that and nothing's changing, you like, unfortunately, there's probably that has, knows you have to shift it and yeah. do something different. So we make the call to go to the hospital. And we get to the hospital and the doctor that came in, I am just going to say... I did not like him at all. And it sucks because I feel like we used to know the hospitalists. Yes. Like we had like, if not relationships with them, at least we kind of knew their style and what to expect a little bit more. Yes. Now I feel like we have no idea what we're walking into. But, and it wasn't that he was being mean to her, but he had like this really like, I don't, the only way I can describe it is like this patriarchal feel to him. Like he was her dad and he was going to rescue her yeah. and save no. her. Did he run in with a cape on and go da 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 da? Super dead. No, I don't. I don't know. I just was like, <laughs> I don't. Your I face like, is so disgusting. Ugh. 
And then take a picture of that too. Then the things he was saying were just not evidence based. So he comes in and he's like, well, feels like you have a pretty big baby here and you're not progressing. So, uh, I mean, we'll get you, we'll get you some pain medication and whatnot, but we'll, we'll give you, we're going to just monitor your contractions to see if it's that your contractions aren't strong enough. And if they're not, it's just, you know, it just means you have a big baby and you're, you're probably going to need a C-section. Without the offer of like induction? I mean, he's like, we could try pit, but it, like he was just, he just like jumped to C-section yeah, super quickly. And he had this way of wording it like, we'll do this and we'll wait this many, but this hour. And no then reason. Kim and I have our hands on babies all the time. Like we don't even feel like we're very confident in estimating fetal size based on like external palpation. Like, and, and like OBs today don't touch women's bellies. No. Like, so there, how in the world... Do you, I mean, like, I don't know. There was How just a way that? it was just like a very it felt very deflating. Like you've done all this work. You're probably your baby's probably just too big. You're probably getting and a maybe C-section. Like, thought that was comforting because it's like not about you or your body. It's like your baby size. But like, that's not comforting at all. Yeah. And it, especially when it's not well informed. Yeah. And and like at this point, baby's heart tones are fine. Mom's fine. Like, the, the amount of time he was giving to see if the baby was going to fit didn't make any sense. It was like, you could go. He just, like, picked an arbitrary number. Yeah, like, we'll, we'll see. We'll give you an hour and see what happens kind of thing. And so he leaves the room, and I'm just like, I just want to let you know that the things he's saying are not necessarily yeah. true. Like, there's so many other things that could be causing your cervix to go back for you to not be progressing yeah. other than your baby. Also, being. like you need an hour more than an hour of yes. rest to other play than, catch up right now. Other than your baby being too big. So she gets her epidural and then he comes back in to like check her almost like pretty much immediately after her epidural. And he was like, well, actually, you're nine now. Oh, sure. Well, that's. That's that's crazy. And I'm like, oh, is it like I've seen that happen? Yeah. Lots of times. Yeah. Lots of times. So we had some renewed hope, but it was still like, all right, I'm going to do this monitor. See if your contractions are strong enough. Then we'll take it from there. You have an hour, which at that point it was like, like why put a timeline on yes. it? She's nine centimeters. Or just like let her rest. Yeah. Like she's been awake for two nights. Let her sleep for three hours. As yeah. long as baby's like healthy. Yeah. Mom's healthy. Just give it time yeah. yeah so ultimately we asked for that and he ended up not coming back which i was like um and, and we ended up going through that whole night and um a new doctor came on in the morning who was so nice and so sweet and so amazing um but ultimately she did get a little bit of pitocin because her contraction pattern was like super wonky um but she waited long enough to feel like she had she knew her body wasn't going to go the mm -hmm. extra centimeter on its own um which i know that sounds like i don't know that's so important to feel like you gave everything you had before you decide to add another intervention and can really yeah. like shift the way somebody owns their birth story yeah and that's up to each individual person whether they want to wait or not want to wait so but then like ultimately what happened is like it didn't take much pitocin she got all the way to complete in the morning um, and she ended up pushing and she pushed not that long. Um, and she had a vaginal birth to a baby that weighed 10 pounds, 14 ounces. Oof. That's right. I forgot. I forgot what the end of the story was. And I forgot yes. that's how big the baby was. So it was a very, it was a very large baby. 
No but, wonder. But she, so it, it explains a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. happened. But also, it's like she was able to rock out a vaginal birth on a 10 pound, 14 ounce yeah, baby. She was. And it's like, as her first, you said, right? No, it wasn't her oh, first. Oh, okay. Well, even her then, though. Birth. Um, like yeah, freaking so, accomplishment. But I was like, God, what a badass you are. Look what you just did. And then yeah. it, like, I don't know. It makes me, like, upset when it's like they had somebody was like doubting her ability and and i know that happens sometimes but to just rush right to that instead of being like oh this could actually be happening and that could be happening and i've seen this Mm -hmm. work or that work let's hold out hope back and see what happens Yeah. yeah so yeah she rocked out her vaginal birth um and ultimately they were okay with the transfer because they really felt like they had done everything um and and it went, you know, she still had a, a vaginal birth, which is, like, the most important thing to mm-hmm. her. Um, and then there was, like, other things about her transfer that she wasn't super happy about, as does happen. Um, but it's, like, I, ju- I just, before we end out, I just want to talk about, like, processing from a transfer. Because the way people treat you in a transfer and the way you process your transfer and how much you got to try before doing that, like, it really does make a big difference. Yeah. So, like, rushing, if he had, and I know, I just walked away and came back, but had he rushed right to that C-section, she would have had, like, tremendous regret on mm-hmm. not trying everything. So, even if you're not feeling, I mean, there have been moms that are like, I just can't, I'm not going to do it, and I don't care. And then later, they're like, well, I guess I could have tried something else, but whatever. But some moms, like, end up with a lot of regret because mm-hmm. they don't try everything before going like before transferring but if you do try everything and then you transfer like literally there's just nothing else that could have been done yeah and i just like learned from this lesson that even if you're feeling pressured it's really okay to ask for something else Mm -hmm. so like even though they're saying hey we'll come back in and check you in an hour and see if this has happened it is totally okay to be like we want you to wait three hours yeah baby's happy yeah what i'm happy what I always tell my clients is like, think about our healthcare as like a service, right? Like, unfortunately, we live in a culture where it seems like doctors are all knowing and they tell you what to do. But really, you're going into the hospital for a service. So you get to pick and choose what those services are. Like, ultimately, like, you have to like, you make choices that reflect the safety of your baby, but you do have the right to choose what you do and don't want in terms of services and in any health, like healthcare or birth setting. And there are also times where trying everything isn't maybe always in your best interest because they may say, yes, we can give you another hour or another two hours, but if baby tanks, it's an emergency right. C-section mm-hmm. and then you don't get to be involved. But so every birth is different. And that's when informed consent is so important. Yeah. And so I don't know if this episode did a good job of taking some of the fear out of transfer or what, but <laughs> what? I mean, I just feel like usually and as someone who's gone through a transfer myself i do feel like it's important to to prepare and have some idea of what you're going to come up against because if you, you didn't transfer. want to prepare right with i did list. not want to prepare and i didn't and and i also remember how helpless it felt because me even as a doula remembering how helpless it feels to stand up for yourself when you are in labor um so the more information you have beforehand the easier it is going to be and the more support you have the easier it's going to be to do that to make it feel like you're making choices for yourself and a point of time when it's hard to make choices taking time to process as you had said before is just it is so important it's so important because carrying around like 
wonder or feelings of like what if doubting and just even anger for your provider or for maybe your doula or maybe the doctor like carrying that around isn't helpful to you like you've got to be able to get all that out yeah like it serves a purpose for a while you know like those feelings serve a purpose to help you process but eventually like you have to let go of the things that don't serve you anymore and i do want to say for people who transfer too there's a big fear um because there's a lot of people who come to out of hospital care and their families do not agree with it and i've seen so many times where families will be like i told you so I told you, I told you that was a dumb idea. And then it's adding another layer of embarrassment Mm -hmm. for choices you made on top of all the things you just went through. So be kind. Those are the (laughs) same people that when you're angry, they're like, you need to calm down. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't work. (laughs) And, And then also knowing like so many people also say like, well, you have a healthy baby so it doesn't matter how they got here like yeah that is true but it does still matter how they got here and your feelings about how you feel about how they got here always still matter and so i don't know if we'll ever get people to stop saying stupid shit like I don't that think no, of course but i just had this vision of like of like Brock on top of a bunk bed wanting to get down to the bottom and slipping and falling and Evie leaning over going, well, at least you made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least you got here. That's all that matters. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your head is bleeding, but it doesn't matter that you broke your neck. You made it to the bottom. <laughs> also, like we have an entire episode about this, our birth trauma episode. Yes. So like if this all feels like if you want to dive into this more or it feels really triggering to you, I highly recommend that episode. Yes. And just knowing, though, that it is OK to kind of like know that that might happen to you but at the same time you know if if there's a way that you can like silence those things or know that you don't have to give as much weight to them and that it is okay for you to feel bad yeah um it just goes so far you're not selfish for wanting uh, the birth that you wanted no at all and And you're not selfish for feeling sad about how if you don't get the birth you wanted. No. And also if you have the energy for it and a part of your healing process is reporting your experience to the hospital, the only way that things are going to change is if we provide criticism about the way things are done. So like we will encourage clients to like complain about an experience or a provider if they don't have the experience they feel like is supportive. But I can't, I don't think any of I've had one client ever do it in 10 years. And I just feel like, that's one of the strongest ways to create real change like in our healthcare setting. And it feels like a lot. And we're not saying like you should tell on them, but you could ask us, you know, like your midwife, your whoever, your doula, like can they write help you write something? But I recently had one OB say that they worked really hard to get rid of another one because they were so horrific to women. Yeah. And nobody would complain. No one would complain. Yeah. And this this doctor's point was if the moms were complaining, it would have happened sooner. Like that was mentioned mm-hmm. because we are, as you said, the consumers. And if you are receiving, you can only receive so many like negative hospitals rely on reviews reports. as heavily they as anybody else. They have to get else. rid of you. If your report is over and over again, they can't keep that provider. So, um, yeah, and it's not that it's up to you to make it better for other people, but it does make it better. Some for people yeah. find power in that too, though. Like that can of like be trying, some people's healing Trying process. to prevent something that 
was not fun for you from happening to somebody else in the future. But also writing in and writing a letter or a thank you or sending some flowers or some donuts, let's be honest, <laughs> if you have a provider that you liked. Yeah. Because that doesn't happen. You know, everyone will complain. Mm-hmm. Usually in a restaurant, nobody wants to call and be like, my service was fantastic. So sending nice things is really helpful, too. Yeah. Yes. If you get exceptional service, it's always nice to <laughs> say that. <laughs> stable all the time i Is made it? cookies for the nurses but uh what was that? um if you get exceptional service you should always say something uh-huh. <laughs> let me think of a video of that <laughs> um I, anyways i tried to make cookies i'm a terrible baker and they ended up they're supposed to be like thumbprint like raspberry cookies and they just look like placentas and then <laughs> we had a great old laugh about that and i still talk to those nurses when i transfer sometimes about Aww. those cookies <laughs> remember those blood clot cookies <laughs> yeah. I sent you? They were so fun. Yeah, they're like, oh, that was you. We didn't eat them. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> Don't blame you. <laughs> well, it's time to end out our episode. But for all you moms out there who have transferred or who are worried about transfer, like, look into it. Do the work. Um, for the majority of moms out there who choose out of hospital care, you're not going to transfer and you're going to do great. Um, yeah. So the only other thing... Or you might transfer and you will still do great. Yes. Or you might... I said the majority of moms. The majority of moms are not going to transfer and the majority of moms who transfer are still going to do great. Yes. 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 You're all great. Everyone's Wrap it up, you guys. Exceptional (laughs) service with a smile. For God's sake, cheers. The only other thing we have to say is cheers. (laughs) You didn't say cheers in your microphone. Oh, cheers. (laughs)